This podcast is offered by Wildflowers and Sangha. A Dharma Talk by Roshi Amy to SLA Hollowell. Good afternoon. Uh, as I mentioned last night, I think, uh, I've come from a retreat with my teacher and my Dharma brothers and sisters um, and some other people here were with us were at that retreat as well and um, the the reason why there were so many people and that we were all there was because one of my Dharma brothers received what we call Dharma transmission and became a sensei, a teacher during that week. And um, he's Portuguese. Uh, and it's because of him and his partner at the time uh, that we are here today because he and his partner invited us, invited my teacher, Geno Roshi, to come to Portugal and she brought me with her and that was 15 years ago um, so he invited her and then he left and went to Japan <laughs> uh, and in fact he was not even here when we came he had already gone to Japan but for various reasons, he then left Japan and went back to France to study with my teacher, Geno Roshi. Um, and this week he received Dharma transmission. And he has no intention really to come back to Portugal. He will stay there in France and help her because she's getting older uh, and she needs help and so help her with the Sangha there and uh, maintain the practice there in France. And so in his, he gave a talk as the person who's receiving transmission always does and in his talk he said, I have a thought, I'm thinking about my country, about Portugal. And there were some Portuguese people there, which is very unusual in that Sangha. Uh, there was João, there was Tiago, who some of you know, um, and there was Lisa, who some of you also know. Uh, and, uh, that, and there was a friend of his, an old friend of his who came from Portugal. And I think that too made it very present, the, his thoughts for his country. And he said, yeah, I have some thoughts for my country and I miss, I miss my people. And then he said, but I know Amy is there taking care of them. And even now when I say it again, this is the third time I've said this publicly, but um, it's very moving for me to hear that. I, because I, it's not that I don't, I never felt that, but I hadn't thought of it in those terms. And I don't mean that I, that I never thought that I'm taking care of you. I didn't, that's not what I mean. It's just that I hadn't heard those words. And, and from him. And how important it was, you know, he maybe even has forgotten that he was at the origin of all of this. Um, because he's gone on and done so many different things. But. And that has really stayed with me, that something shifted for me when he said that. Um, and I can't, at this point, you know, this was only a few days ago, so I can't really tell you exactly what shifted. Um, I think it became even more clear to me 
which, because, you know, these things deepen in our understanding and our experience, it deepens and deepens and deepens, because I received Dharma transmission 15 years ago, so it's been a long time, and I've been coming here so long, and um, teaching not only here, but in France and elsewhere. But I, through that, of you know, but I, he's, he's saying, you know, but I know Amy is taking care of them, um, it's as if um, I, I once again had this experience that I've had in various situations of being a vessel, of being a vehicle. Um, and I, as I said to him in his, his public trans, his coming out after his transmission, I publicly said to him, you know, um, I am happy to be that vessel that serves his wish that his people be cared for. And that, that too is very moving for me to think that. And because as I, and I've had that experience in different contexts before of being a vessel, of being a vehicle, uh, but somehow, that, I think it, it was what, it was Thursday or Wednesday? Which day? I don't remember. Thursday, probably. When he said that, something, it was a new experience of that in a different way. Um, and so when I came here and I was sat down for that meeting last night and was looking out at all of you, I was thinking, okay, so... Um, what do they need? What, how can I best care for them? I mean, I'm also caring for myself, and we're caring for each other, but because I'm sitting in this position, I have a bit of a different way of <laughs> looking at things. Um, and whenever I ask myself that kind of question, whether it's phrased in that way or not, but with that idea of what, what is it? What is it now? And what, what does this situation call for? Um, however I phrase it, basically it's the question of what is it? But, um, I come back to what was really my, one of my the reason I came to this practice initially, um, and which then my teacher gave me the Dharma name that is very appropriate to what I was experiencing at that time. Because when I came to this practice, I was, and I said this the other day too, I was like the prophet of bliss. I saw myself as like this prophet of bliss. And I, the only thing I wanted to do, I couldn't because I had a job and I had a small child, but was I wanted to travel the world as this prophet of bliss. And, you know, I guess if, in kind of a Christian evangelical term, it would be like, you know, spread the word or, you know, the bring the good news or something. And the name my teacher gave me fit right into that because she gave me the name in French, tu es cela, which means you are that or you are it. And so my dream became, well, I'm the prophet of bliss and I will just travel the world and when I meet someone and they say, well, what's your name? And I would say, tu es cela. You are it. You're that. And so when I, last night I sit down and I think, so what can I say to you? What can I say to them? What is the best way to care for them now? And that always comes. You are it. It's you. And as I said last night, you know, it's about coming back and experiencing the nature of this reality, and this reality is you. 
um, very astutely, my teacher did not give me the name, I am that, which helped free me from a, <laughs> a trap that I was in and I could have been in and I still could be in. Um, And that's what all of these teachings are about. That all of this stuff we do is all about that, to bring us back to this. Just this, which is just you, just your life, just as it is. There's nothing missing. There's nothing that you have to eliminate. It's really just this as it is. You are it, really. This is extremely difficult to, <laughs> it's very simple, but it's, it's difficult because we're usually thinking in dualistic terms. And so there's, and we have these ideas about who I am and who I am not and all of that. Um, but the original, the very origin of this practice, what we call Buddhism, comes back to that. And so this morning when I was thinking about, well, what can I say, um, I had two things that came. Um, one was this book that I picked up at my house before I left. I was thinking, what am I going to bring? I didn't have much time, you know. We came back from the retreat Saturday afternoon, just in time to do laundry, have dinner, <laughs> uh, and then sleep and get up the next morning and leave repack everything, take everything that I had washed out of my bag, take, take everything out of my bag, wash it, and then put it back in. Um, and so I grabbed a book that I hadn't looked at for a long, long time. And it's the book, um, it's called Appreciate Your Life. And it's talks from the teacher of my teacher's teacher. Maizumi Roshi, who was the, who brought these, this lineage from Japan to the United States. And also what came to mind, which is something that I rarely do, is a poem, one of my poems, uh, that is actually the first poem in my book that I have coming out in the fall. So I don't actually have it on paper or anything, but I happen to have it in my phone. <laughs> so this too, I never do, bring my phone to the, to the zendo. And I rarely read one of my poems. Um, but this, it's appropriate to this discussion. Um, I also have it in French, but there doesn't seem much reason to read it in French because there's what there's only three French people here, right? So I'll we'll do it in English, and I don't have it in Portuguese yet. Maybe it will be translated someday in Portuguese. So doesn't have a title. Um, it's a book that I wrote with a French poet, and so we didn't we don't have titles on the poems. Um, so, my story does not begin with a nighttime vigil under a fig tree near Gaia in northeast India. It does not continue with a battle waged fiercely against the dark forces of my being, decided by knockout or chokehold or simply by taking the earth as my witness. No triumph, therefore, ensues, not for nor against. There follows no sighting of the morning star at dawn, no explanation that hereupon I and all sentient beings throughout space and time are at once simultaneously awakened. No cry of how wonderful, how wonderful is then repeated 
for posterity. By legions of adoring adepts across countless ages, traversing innumerable villages and towns and cities, ignoring borders of nations and continents, navigating deep oceans and swift rivers, surmounting mountains and plains windswept and battered by the elements, recounted as thus through centuries and generations of days and nights, passed from one heart to another and another and another. My story is not the Buddha's story. My story is my story, which makes my story his story and his story mine. So I know that may be difficult. <laughs> and poetry is always difficult to listen to. Um, and then in a foreign language, uh, it's equal, doubly difficult. The important bit is at the end, okay? My story is my story, his story is his story, which makes my story his story and his story mine. And it's true for all of you. It's not just me, okay? When I'm saying my, any of you could read that and it's the truth, it's, it's the same truth for you. Um, and that's why uh, all of these things that I say are not my story, in fact are, uh, because when he says, you know, I and all sentient beings throughout space and time, are simultaneously awakened, it's because he sees that his story is your story, and your story is his. Um, and it's now, right? So, you know, the Buddha is alive and well, and sitting here on your cushion. It's not that statue. Uh, it's not some deity that we envision and worship. No, it's you. That you are the Buddha, right? Uh, so, Maizumi Roshi, um, The whole book is called Appreciate Your Life. And it's all about that. Truly appreciating your life as it is. Um, and he, he begins with this, uh, this expression uh, that we have in, in Zen, which is very... Um, you know, in the American lingo, we might say highfalutin. You know, it's very, like, flowery and um, sounds like something impossible and something very uh, eloquent that we should aspire to. Um, the expression is, the treasury of the true Dharma eye and subtle mind of nirvana. And it comes from a, a famous koan that we use, which is um, the original, our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, um, comes before the assembly like this, but there was a huge crowd, and he holds up a flower and he blinks, and someone, huh? No, Maya Kashapa. Next comes Ananda. Different story. Um, someone sitting there smiles. And we say this is the first transmission. Now this is kind of Zen lore, 
this is the mythology of Zen, because you know some historians have gone through it all, and it's not quite clear that in all of the lineage that we um, cite, some of these people didn't live in the same centuries or things like that. You know, um, and there's no proof actually of this interaction between Shakyamuni and Mayakashapa having happened with a flower and a smile. Um, they were contemporaries and Mayakashapa did practice with the Buddha and did succeed him. But this story of the flower and the smile is part of the Zen thing. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. And what's important is, well, what are we saying happened? So we say that's the first transmission. When we say the recite the patriarchs, the ancestors, first there's Shakyamuni, and then there's Mayakashapa. And then after him, there's Ananda, as Mark points out. Um, and then on and on and on. 82 generations to me. I'm the 83rd generation. And that's what we're representing here with this. And that's why we say you don't cross this line when you walk in Zendo. This is, this is representing that what we call the bloodline from the original teacher Buddha down all these 82 generations to me, the 83rd. Um, I don't, you know, the word patriarch is <laughs> patriarchal, right? But... Um, so some people are saying matriarchs, and some people are saying ancestors, whatever. It doesn't, I don't really care, you know. Um, I'm not stuck on <laughs> the, the, our associations with that word. But, um, because ultimately, it's not me, you know. I'm, I'm the vessel. I'm the vehicle for this. It's not... I'm, as we were saying last week about the, when we were talking about the transmission, every day the teachers would talk about the transmission and came back over and over again. You know, it's not, not Amy sitting here. It is, but it isn't. Um, so anyway, when, when this happened with the smile and the, the flower and the smile, then the Buddha said something to the effect of... Um, you know, oh, this is, right, he has it here. So, the Buddha said, I have the treasury of the true Dharma eye and subtle mind of Nirvana, and I transmit it to Mahakashapa. So, he's transmitting this true Dharma eye, subtle mind of Nirvana, by holding up a flower and the guy smiles. Pretty enigmatic, right? Kind of obscure. And yet, no. Because it's as simple as that. Um, what we say, no gap. So there's no, it's just he holds up the flower, Kashapa smiles, and that's it. That's it. It's that simple. And yet, it's Wow, not simple. <laughs> because in order to have that freedom, in order to not be stuck here or there, meaning in duality, which is where we usually are, that's where it's happening for us, um, not easy. And yet it is. Maizumi um, Roshi said that's his beginning of his book, and then he spends the whole book talking about that, about how, you know, um, because the, the thing is, all we need to know, all we need to see is that our life is the treasury of the true Dharma eye and subtle mind of Nirvana. That's it. You know, it's like the poem where it's the, all you need to know is that that's your story. That's who you are. That's what you are. I walk around and I tell you, you're it. <laughs> um, but unless you realize it, it's just blah, blah, blah. Now, if you're sitting here, something in this, 
practice resonates with you or calls to you. You maybe don't know what it is and you're maybe really confused about all this stuff I'm saying and that's understandable. But trust that if you came here, you were looking for something. And that this is where you came to find it. For whatever reason, you know, maybe your friend told you about it and said, oh, you know, uh, I know somebody who went there and liked it, or I don't know, whatever it is. Maybe it's not at all what you expected. In fact, it probably isn't what you expected. <laughs> That's good. If it's not what you expected, I'm really happy. Um, it's not what I expected today. <laughs> it's not ex what I expected. And yet I've been here, I've been coming to Portugal 15 years, and I've been here before. It's not what I expected. As um, Maizumi Roshi says in this book, um, I think it's like 70, 77 million times or something like that. Um, no, where is it? So it's, right. In one second, our life is born and dies about 70,000 times. Meaning, this is scientific, right? So this is, you know, the cells and all the changes that are occurring within us and then around us and in the others. And so in one second, we die and are reborn 70,000 times. So if we can really take that, then everything we think about ourselves, it's like a slap in the face because we think of ourselves as being so solid. I'm like this. I'm like that. Um, I, he is like this. He is like that. I can do this. I can't do that. All of that stuff goes out the window because 70,000 times in one second, that's not true. It's changing. It's changing. It's changing. It's changing. Constant, constant, constant change. And that is a good place to begin in our process of saying, okay, well, who, who am I? You're telling me I am it, but what does that mean? Well, you can start by saying, okay, well, I'm not who I think I am. And looking into this constant change of how, what does that mean then? Because it's actually uh, a number in 24 hours, it's, you know, it's like 6,400,099,980 times <laughs> in 24 hours. 70,000 in a second is a little more graspable, in, even though it's not at all. <laughs> um, so what we don't see, okay, is that that it's constantly changing. And we don't see that this that this is the treasure, that we are the treasure. And that right now everything as it is is nirvana. And the reason we don't see that is because we're separate from it. So, you know, we have samsara, we, what we call samsara, um, which is this endless uh, light, what we say, endless cycle of life and death, but it's all the troubles we have and all the suffering and all the hassles and but also all the beautiful stuff, you know, the love <coughs> and the joy and the, the fun um, and the beauty, um, all of that, and then how we experience it in this grasping and rejecting <coughs> pattern. So all the nice things we want, we want to hold on to, and all the stuff we don't like, we want to get rid of. That whole pile, 
that whole process, that whole way of living is what we call samsara. Um, and so nirvana, which in, in Sanskrit means extinction, and we think of nirvana even in the popular culture, even people who have nothing to do with Buddhism, nirvana has become this, wow, this place where everything is perfect, and we will attain it, and you know, it will be the absolute best thing that's ever happened, the best trip, the best meal, uh, nirvana, everything is great, I feel so good. Um, but this is a misunderstanding. In, in Sanskrit it means extinction, but what is being extinguished? Some Buddhist traditions interpreted it as being, so you go beyond this physical body, and it's only when you have died and gone beyond that that's nirvana. In Zen, we don't see it that way. And in some other Buddhist traditions, we don't see it that way. Because our experience is not that. Our experience is that samsara is nirvana. That all of this, all of this stuff, your life just as it is, is nirvana. But if we don't see that, then we experience it as samsara, suffering, whatever. But when we can see that our life as it is, is it, then it's nirvana. It's like that, I've told this story here before, I think. Um, I got this story from a book by Mark Epstein, which I can never remember the name. It's like, the trauma of everyday life or something like that. I don't know what it is. Um, and he tells this, the whole book, is, he's, a, he's a psychotherapist and a Zen, uh, not a Zen practitioner, a Buddhist practitioner. And the whole book is about his, um, about basically what I'm talking about. So samsara is nirvana, something like that. And he uses a lot of stories from his practice as a therapist, psychiatrist, maybe a psychoanalyst, I'm not sure. Um, and his own path, Buddhist path, whatever. So he tells this story about how he, was having di he and his wife were having dinner with another couple and who had nothing to do with Buddhism and, or even psychotherapy, I think. And they were old friends, and so they were all talking about what their work was at the moment. And um, his wife, Mark Epstein's wife, is an artist, and so they talked. She talked about her work, and then he said he was writing, working on this book about samsara and nirvana. About samsara is nirvana, something like that. Trying to explain to her, you know, what it was and what those terms meant, and something like that. And she said, oh, you know, that, I'm amazed at what you're saying because um, she had been having problems with anger and was in a, some kind of therapy group and was having trouble uh, even expressing her anger in the group. And this was her issue. That's what she was working on. And then at some point in the group, it came up, she really became so sad and started crying. And she was really sad. She had so much sorrow because she was, that she was not able to express her anger. She was really, really sad about this. And so then she said to Mark Epstein, she said, but when I heard you talking, I suddenly, some sorrow is nirvana. She thought he had said, some sorrow is nirvana. She didn't hear that samsara. And, but by mishearing, she had the realization of that by in 
that was by recognizing the sorrow that she had and that was the first step to recognizing the anger you know what the anger was about and that she could express it and then and then the feeling the sorrow about it it was like it made everything whole and it was nirvana because it was whole she wasn't excluding it anymore she wasn't keeping out the sorrow she had let it arise and everything was whole and that's nirvana the wholeness is what is nirvana so some sorrow is nirvana <laughs> some sara is nirvana and there was this great children's movie um, called Inside Out in English. In French, it was vice versa. I've talked about this before. Um, it was a Pixar film, I think, mm-hmm. where there was the, the sorrow character. That there were the, ch- the child's emotions were represented in, by different characters, and the sorrow one, they, nobody wanted her around. Everything she touched, everything she touched something, everything became sad. <laughs> and so they. She got lost and they threw her out, but then that made everything horrible. The, nothing worked. The child's emotional well-being didn't work. And so finally they went off and found and brought sorrow back, and everything was good again. Everything was whole again. Um, so what does that tell us about our practice and our life then? Everything we're throwing away and we don't want is actually to be included. And that that is who you are. It's not who you think, and it's not even one of those things. Um, it's everything altogether. You know, it's like this rakusu with, the, with all this stuff on it. You know, this is the, this came from the wildflower sangha here in Portugal. Uh, French people too contributed, but uh, everyone contributed a piece of fabric. And then they Anna sewed it, and then to my great surprise, they gave it to me. I didn't know they were doing this. And this is really a, a perfect symbol of what we're saying. This is one. Okay, this is one. And yet, all of the pieces, all of the parts, and yet it's one. And on the back, my teacher wrote, the mind creates the abyss, the heart crosses it. So it's our head that is creating all the separations. And by creating all those separations, we limit ourselves. If we said, um, a rakusu can only be one color, it can only have a certain aspect, a certain kind of fabric, um, it can't come from students to the teacher, uh, all this stuff, this would not exist. Um, we limit ourselves with all of these dualities we create and all of these separations. So the only thing you really have to do is let go of those separations. Let go of those attachments. Let go of this stuff that um, good, bad, tall, short, fast, slow, smart, not smart. um, Let go of that. Um, Because as soon as we As soon as we start thinking, if we take one step from that, from the wholeness, it's a, you know, miles and miles apart, okay? Um, And when we, the the true, uh, oh, I took out my bookmark, that was smart. uh, so yeah, so yeah, I'm trying to keep the phrase the true, the treasury of the true Dharma eye in my head. Um, the, because it's the minute we think about it. So when we say something is uh, one or something is subtle, 
Subtle means it's so subtle. It's right here. That's what subtle means. It's so, and intimate as well. It's right here. It's so close we can't see it. And as soon as we see it, we start saying, I see it, or I think about it, then we're separate from it. You know, you are so much who you are that you don't even know it. You are so much this that you don't know it. Because as soon as you start trying to know it, you're separate from it. Um, It's like you can't really hear your own voice. And some, uh, someone else, I think it was Natalie Goldberg, this American Zen practitioner who d writes a lot about writing, said in her, Zen, in her early Zen retreats, she felt like she was trying to turn her head fast enough to see her face. Well, you can't do that, right? You can't turn your fast enough to see your face. Um, you are it, so you can't possibly see it like you think that you can see it. You can only be it. You can only experience it. Um, and so the whole practice, so if you're sitting on your cushion and your practice is uh, your breathing, what you need to do is be the breathing. Be breathing. We use this technique of counting the breath in order to get us to a point where our mind is stable and we can let go of it and just be it. Um, or even just be the counting. No separation. No gap. Uh, if, you, if you have a koan, which some people do, be the koan. Be it completely. And I repeat this and repeat this and repeat this. And people, when they get stuck and they don't know, and can't do it. And I'm just like, just be it. And we say every moment, you know, when we're working on moo, we say, eat moo, walk moo, talk moo, shower moo, um, sleep moo. Just moo, moo, moo. Just be it, whatever it is. Um, so, I realize some people don't know what I'm talking about with Mu, but it doesn't matter. Um, that's just the first koan that we use in our practice, and it's, it's not an easy one because it requires an entire shift of our being to work with it. Um, but, like it says here, the mind creates the gap, the abyss. And the abyss is, is bottomless, so that the mind creates, creates the separations. The heart crosses, crosses it. The heart knows no separations. The mind tells the heart to see separations. You know, so the mind clouds the heart and has, tragically, someone go into a Walmart and kill people you know, who, who they think are not them. But that's not the heart doing that. That's the mind doing that. Um, someone in France um, uh, when he was working with Bernie Glassman on the peacemakers, when we were trying to get the peacemaker, Bernie Glassman's community established in Europe, and um, he was a graphic designer and worked a lot in advertising. And every year in France in the summertime, um, there's a like a contest for advertising, you know, graphic artists and things to design campaigns for nonprofit organizations, um, things that, because in the summer, like a lot of advertisers in the metro, for example, they don't buy space in the metro. So the metro in Paris offers 
billboard space to these nonprofit things. And there's a contest for which ones will be accepted. So this guy designed a whole campaign for the Zen peacemakers. Alas, it was not accepted, so it was not advertised in the, in the Paris Metro, but he made some t-shirts and posters and things around it. And one of the really, really evocative ones he did was, um, it said, <laughs> think with your heart. And instead of the drawing on the t-shirt was instead of the brain, it was a heart. But it looked like a heart really looks. It didn't look like you know, the popular drawing of a heart. <laughs> and it said, think with your heart. And it was a really good campaign. But of course, in our world in which you don't think with your heart, <laughs> the people judging the contest, uh, no. nobody would get it. It wasn't worth it. Zen peacemakers, what's that? You know, so instead, it went to like Salvation Army, Red Cross, uh, Médecins Sans Frontières, which are all great activities. I'm not saying that they shouldn't have that advertising space. but. Um, but so that think with your heart uh, requires us to drop all of this, how we usually think. And our whole practice is about bringing us to that. You know, there was, there was a lot of heart last week in that retreat that we were doing. You know, the theme song could have been a whole lot of love. <laughs> could have had Led Zeppelin playing. You know. um, uh, because when we sit like this together and we settle and we sit here and we sit here and we sit here, and we don't talk, and we work together, and we do all of, we go all through all of this together, and we, um, we don't realize it, but we're, we start to think with our heart. We come closer to ourselves, and by coming closer to ourselves, then we have a different experience of the others as well. Um, and that is, that's the, the treasury of the true Dharma eye and the subtle mind of Nirvana. Um, Subtle mind of nirvana is like, you know, with some sorrow, it's like bringing together the heart and the mind. And in the Asian languages, they have, it's great, you know, because they have one word that expresses heart mind, shin, you know, in Chinese and Japanese. Um, we don't have that. We have a much more dualistic way of experiencing the world, or maybe not experiencing it, but we. We've translated it in our languages in a much more dualistic way, let's say. Um, so we have to come to that heart-mind uh, without language. Um, but, that, but it's your life. That's what it is. That's why we do these Heart of Life retreats, because it's really here and now. If you don't do it now, when are you going to do it? If you don't do it here, where will you do it? Because there is nowhere else. No one else can live your life. You can't live your life anywhere else. And you can't be anyone else. That's the good news, but that's also the bad news, right? Because you can't be anyone else. You will not be anyone else. And no one else will be you. And no one else can be you. And that is fantastic. It's all here right now.
can also be devastating, as I know from my own experience. That realization was devastating. I was not going to be someone else. It was not going to be something else. It's this. At the same time, that's our liberation. What time do we have? Ten to one. Ah, ten. Ten. Oh, past. Okay. Wow. Okay. So I would like to hear if you have any questions or things to say or. Not being not being in the way of myself so much, but actually, um, I just see it happening. It just it's happening like that. What is happening like that? I'm not I'm not so much um, in my own way. My my own way out of my own way anymore. I'm not, not getting stuck and uh, felt feeling constrained about uh, how I see myself. Mm-hmm. And it, what is interesting maybe because uh, I've, been <laughs> I've been sitting <laughs> Not even much of an effort. I just, I just see that it happens, and I see like this person. I'm just saying it like this because it's easier to, to say it like this. Uh, this person that used used to be much in my own way, not in front of like stopping me or blocking me or making it more difficult. It's it's there. I see it, but it just just doesn't just doesn't get so much in my my way. Mm-hmm. But I see it. Mm-hmm. I see it coming up. And, uh, mm-hmm. But it, it was interesting because it's like it's like uh, I don't know. It's like walking through a living room. Somebody's watching TV or TV is on or something. I don't know. I just don't even. I know it's there. Hear and I can see the images on, on the screen. It doesn't seem particularly interesting, so I just. But I'm aware. I know it's like I, I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the interesting experience has been. Uh, there's. There doesn't seem to be much effort. Much effort. There, there, there's, there doesn't seem to be efforts in in order to not let it uh, you know, obstruct me. So to let it obstruct me. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that's interesting. That's hmm. a new experience. Well, and that's 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 how it is. It takes much more effort <laughs> to keep it in the way and keep uh, maintain this whatever it is is blocking you, then to not. It's like, yeah, that's true. Letting go is not really much effort, in fact. Hanging on takes a lot more effort. And, and it really is liberating. It's, it really is. 
And someone at the last week, someone when this same subject came up, said, Well, so everyone is saying, get out of the way, uh, drop it, let go, all of this. And so he said, But so what, who lets go, or who gets in the way, or whatever? You know? And this is the eternal question, right? Especially for that person. Um, and and I, I really feel for him because I know that that's his question and I, and I know where that's coming from and I know how difficult that is, right? And you can all probably relate because you hear the same stuff and you have the same question. Well, so, okay, so I'm supposed to, so even you hear Joao telling you and you're like, okay, well, so <laughs> he's saying, this is not getting in my way. Well, so if I'm not getting in my way, well, who is I not getting in my way, and who's getting in my way? It's, you know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Um, and it's really, that's our basic problem in life. Because what's a way of saying it simply is what's getting in the way, what's obstructing us, is our dualistic thinking. So the way that our thoughts are creating separations and differences is exactly what's getting in the way. So it's not like there's two me's. There's a me getting in the way and a me not getting in the way. That's not what it is. It's this dualistic way of experiencing and thinking that gets in the way, that makes the obstruction possible, that makes the obstruction and the one who obstructs and the one who isn't obstructed and all of that. Um, it's not something esoteric, really. And, and when I hear Schwann's telling, I think of Ram Das, who said, someone, he, you know, he's this great psychiatrist and long-time practitioner and LSD pioneer and gone off to India. And his real name is Richard Alpert. And he goes off to India and he comes back and he's Ram Das. You know, so. Um, and so someone in an interview asked him, so... You know, um, so now you're Ramdas. I think that's something like great son or something. Doesn't Ramdas mean that? I don't know. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, servant of God. Servant of God. Yeah, that's right. So they're like, yeah, okay. You know, this amazing thing. And so you're like, Nirvana. You know, above it all, this great guru and everything. And so you have no more problems. You know, your neurosis is, are gone, whatever. And he said, oh, no, 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 not at all, not at all. He said, I still have all of my same neurotic <laughs> things that troubled, that, have tr that troubled me, the same neuroses, everything. But now, instead of being these monsters that occupy my entire being, they're just these little... Like almost like ants or something, you know, dancing around. They're there. You don't become someone else. They're there. But as Joel says, you know, it's like that TV in the room that you don't even, but it doesn't bother you. It's just there, you know. Um, they're just there. And he's aware of it, but they're not a problem. Not a problem anymore. Um, and so much of what causes us pain and suffering with our neurosis and all of our other stuff is this trying to get rid of it, trying not to have it anymore, fighting against it. It's this effort to get rid of it, to not be it, or to really hang on to it, because sometimes we really like this neurotic stuff. It's really juicy. It's really exciting, I think. You know? Um, and it's also just so habitual. It's how we've always behaved and always felt and always thought. And so we hang on to it. Krishna? Yeah. If 
Famine, it's like you was uh, saying this the the the, the devastating uh, feeling that I don't know how to to go to it. I'm, I I know I know I feel it, but I really I'm really afraid. I really don't know how to be in there or alone or in a community, but I know I have to to live it. It's like a, I think it's like a morning that mm. is so so strong and stuff. I really get lost and I fight it. Mm. Yeah. But when I come to here on the first day, the tent stuff, uh, the tent. I can do it. What am I doing? I have to go away. <laughs> and uh, it was really difficult for me to stay. It was a kind of one hour panic feeling. Went to Vingudos, uh, shopping, trying to put myself in, in here. And then it went away. The, the, the feeling of it, it has returned. Not that strong. But. But when you said uh, you are here, you maybe you, you don't know, you don't like it that much, and I'm thinking, yeah, I'm here. I'm I'm thinking, why am I here? This is too much. I can sustain it. Uh, not one week. Blah 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 blah. And I say, what wh what is it? I think is it it is uh, peace. What is peace? What I'm looking for. Ah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. To, to give myself to that feeling. Mm. Well, and so it's interesting because we, we're looking for peace, for example, and we feel this panic and this fear and this... I still feel, I wouldn't say panic and fear, but at the beginning of a retreat, it's never easy for anyone, I don't think. And I still am thinking, oh, what am I doing? You know, um, this is never going to happen, or uh, whatever. Um, and but I know, I know that, and I'm I'm aware of that process of know, whatever it is that's coming up that is telling me, you know, have, bringing up doubts or something. Um, and I know that it will pass, and I know that the way it passes is by staying with it and becoming one with it and not trying to chase it away. Um, and I always think it's really a shame in retreats like this when people leave. They say, oh, I, I can't do this. this, you know, I have to leave. I, this is not the right moment and everything. I respect that entirely. And. I, I would not try to change their mind, you know, because it's, the people have to do what they have to do. But I always think it's a shame because there's something that, that if we can stay with that and really go into it and stay, accompany ourselves through it, and this is a good way to do it because you have people around and a structure and everything, um, there's a great reward in staying with it and getting through it. Uh, and you can't know that if you leave, if you run away from it. And we do this not only in this context, but in all kinds of things in our lives. We run away. We what? We leave. Yeah, we leave. We leave relationships, we leave jobs, we leave studies, we leave all kinds of friendships, all kinds of stuff. Um, and. But this is really a matter of life and death, and the rewards are priceless if we can really stay with it. And I'm speaking from, you know, decades of experience of doing this. Um, so trust. Trust that you can do it, you can take it, uh, and that... Um, 
You don't even have to project ahead until, yes, I will make it to the end of the retreat. No, just project, you know, this sitting period. Yeah, you know? I, I, I'm the one, I can always, I'm <coughs> What? To come to here, I, I've made two, two agreements with some friends to come and rescue me from the retreat. If you wanted to leave. <laughs> if yeah. I wanted yeah. and I could, and then uh, yeah. I was feeling too, you know. <laughs> All right. We make backup plans, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Now you can't leave your education. <laughs> 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 but yeah, I mean, it is. It's. I know that my first three day retreat that I did when uh, I thought I was going to die, you know, I mean, it was so painful and so difficult. And I couldn't leave. I, I mean, I could probably have, but it would have been really complicated because it was far, far away, and I had a ride with people I didn't know, and just I, I couldn't leave. Um, and I'm grateful for that because I gained a really valuable experience of not no escape. Because we can escape from here, but you can't escape from your life. Yeah, from, from here. Yeah. From yourself. Yeah, from yourself, exactly. have our stuff with it, you know. Yeah. And if we can just hold it, stay with it, not submit to it, you know, like Ram Dass, you know, he doesn't let those neurotic stuff take over. It's there, but he doesn't let it take over. So I guess the servers have left. It must be time to eat. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's put the put everything back. Um, don't leave though. <laughs> we'll do a fast kin hin, and then you can go out if you need to go to the toilet or something. Doing the fast kin hin, okay? And then when they come back with the food, we stop.